0: Basically, Paul has laid out the entire book and basically said this You're a Christian. You are in Christ. God did so many incredible things when He saved you. It's not by your works, it's by His grace. They're going to have difficult times. That's okay. You have to learn not to think like the world thinks. It's easy to let the world squeeze you into a mold in the way it thinks, but you're a Christian, you think differently. You act differently. You behave differently. You show forth Christ in all you do. That's chapters 1 through 5. He comes to chapter 6 and basically Paul says this. You need to know if you're going to try to live for God, Satan's not happy. And he's going to do everything he can to undo you. He's going to do everything he can as the scripture teaches. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to rob you from everything he can rob you that God wants to give you he 's going to try to kill anything that God brings into your life that provides peace and joy and contentment and happiness he 's going to try to destroy those things as well he doesn 't care about you all he wants to do is make you ineffective for god that 's all he cares about and so Paul says, and we talked about this last week because it 's a battle there are some things that you need to put on and we talked about the idea that you put on the the, the, the belt of truth you put on the idea that your, your life is based in truth. You're a truthful person. You're an honest person. You believe in the truths of God's word. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, the idea that covered the internal organs, the important vital organs of, a, of the human body. And Paul said, you were, you were placed in righteousness. When, when, when God took your sin, when Christ took your sin upon him on the cross, he, he traded you. He took your sin. He gave you his righteousness. You are righteous in Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ that is applied to your life. And then he talked about the idea of the gospel, the idea that your feet, it gives you a solid foundation on which to stand and that your your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. The idea that because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. This morning, we're going to talk about three things now that you take up. These are a little different because these have a different aspect to how you battle Satan. So um, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what it says. Um, Paul says, uh, let's see, guys. Yeah, there we go. In addition, talking about the three things that you put on, to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's walk through each one of these. The first thing he says is a shield of faith. Now again, this is, a, this is a, a reflection of Paul's in prison. He's chained to house arrest. He's got a Roman soldier always there with him. These people have been surrounded by Roman soldiers. So this is a common understanding for them. It's not for us. So in actuality, a Roman soldier had two shields. One was a, um, a kind of a wrist thing that would usually protected from here to here. Um, kind of protected the forearm, kind of deal, so that if they were in a in, in a battle or that kind of thing, and a and a sword glanced off and hit them there, it wouldn't cut their arm. And some some people considered that a shield, but the main shield was a large shield, either flat or concave, about two and a half feet wide by about four feet tall. Um, here's a picture of one. Um, this is what they they look like. This is a traditional. Roman shield, about the first, uh, these actually were used kind of first to third century. Um, This happened to be a concave one. Later they found that this was a little bit more effective tool. Um, They were often made of wood, uh, covered in leather. And then sometimes they would have, um, uh, of course they'd always be painted, decorated, that kind of thing. But sometimes they'd have little metal pieces on them uh, to maybe make them a little bit stronger in, in trying to bind the wood and the things together. Um here's, here's what's interesting, okay, and, and nobody talks about this a lot when they talk about this passage, but the Romans were very, very good at using these together as a group. And one of the things that they would do in battle is either to protect themselves or to go forward against an army, is they would use their shields in tandem with each other. And so let me show you a picture of what it looks like. Each one of those shields represents a human being underneath it or behind it. So you can imagine if you saw this thing walking towards your wall, it's pretty difficult to try to get to those people. And this was a common way that they would defend themselves or it was a common way to attack. And, and, and the Romans were very, very good at this. And, and they had a whole system at this. They would actually take it. If it was a long line, they would line them up. One guy would hold it low, one guy would hold it over, and they would literally walk forward. And in a a heated battle where it was close and in close contact, they could literally, with their force, push people back and move people physically. It was basically, think of it as a a movable wall that just continued to move or with a roof over top of it. So you can see it would be very effective. So one of the ways that they tried to... um, Stop this kind of thing, whether it was individual or a group, is particularly early in the battle. They would use flaming arrows or flaming darts. Um, literally, the word to hear is missile. It's the idea that what they would do is this: they would, they would they would take they would take an arrow and they would put something on it, uh, pitch or tar or that kind of thing, light it on fire, shoot it. Because the the shield was wood, the idea is the arrow would stick, and if the arrow stuck and it was on fire, eventually the shield would catch on fire. And the goal was, as the shield caught on fire, I would have to throw it aside because now it became a liability to me. It was not protecting me, it was actually endangering me. And the fact was, by throwing the shield aside, I was now vulnerable to attack. So Paul, when he writes this passage, says, you need to understand, Satan is going to throw those things at you. Satan is going to throw those fiery darts at you. And again, it, by the way, if you were hit with one of these flaming arrows, okay, with it, and if it didn't hit your shield, if it hit you, it, it was a pretty miserable way to die because you were burned alive. Um, you know, your clothes would catch you on fire. They'd try to put you out. As they're trying to put you out, the archers continue to shoot. So more and more people get hit with flaming arrows And and so you you understand how this snowballs. Paul uses this to say, look, that's what Satan wants to do to you. If if he gets a shot at you, he's going to try to burn you alive. He doesn't care how you die. He doesn't care how miserable you are. He's going to try to take you out. And so Paul says, and this is interesting, Paul says, one of the ways we defend against that is with our faith. There's a lot of interpretation here. Some people see this as, as your faith and trust in God. Some see this as your faithfulness to God. I think both are true. One of the things that that, that helps you as you defend against Satan coming your way is that your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is solid. That there's no wavering about it. That you have a solid faith where you know and you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. What I see right now is there's a movement in, in Christian circles where we have faith and faith. And it's like, well, you don't have enough faith. Well, is your confidence in your faith or is your confidence in God? Because, by the way, Jesus taught, it doesn't, it's not like you have to have great big huge faith, just a little faith You can move mountains. And, and it's interesting that when you go through difficult times, one of the things that will help you as Satan keeps bombarding you with stuff. Is to know that your faith is solid and secure in Christ. That's why Paul spent five chapters talking about the fact that you're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're his child. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He has adopted you. He has has chosen you. Why in the world do you think he's doing something to you right now? And whatever you're going through, he's not doing something to you. He's doing something for you and through you. To be able to show Christ to a lost world. And Paul says, one of the things that will help you as Satan attacks is faith. Faithfulness. Keep plugging. We talked about this in Sunday school. That idea of when your dreams hit reality, choose hope. Turn back to God. Trust God no matter what. Um, then he goes on and he talks about the helmet of salvation. Um, let me show you what the helmet typically looked like. Here's a typical Roman helmet. If you figured this out, doesn't take a lot of figuring this out. This protects what? Your head. Kind of important part to have in battle. This is your thinking. This is your mindset. This is where your thoughts go. And Paul says, and in fact, literally, in the Greek language, what this says is, and the helmet which is salvation. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you need to know that if you're really going to be able to battle Satan, you really have to be solid on your salvation. It shapes how you think about everything. It shapes how you interpret what is happening to you right now. And so Paul says, look, you need to understand salvation is the foundation here. Just like you talked about with your feet. Salvation is is so important that your thinking is correct when it comes to salvation because that will help you as Satan attacks you. Let me give you an example. When I understand salvation, here's what I understand. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But God, who was rich in His mercy, decided to love me. And He loved me so much that He decided to leave heaven, come to this earth, live a sinless life, go to a cross and be willing to say, I will take your sin and I will give you my righteousness because I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's nothing I can do to gain it. There's nothing I can do to, to, to... All I can do is accept it. It's a gift he offers. And so when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ... Like Ephesians talks about, he adopts me and redeems me and forgives me and makes me his child. He does all of these things for me. He puts me in Christ. He covers my sin with his righteousness. Paul says when you really understand that in your head, and something difficult comes into your life, you don't ask questions like, does God really love me? God showed me that at salvation. Does God really care about me? Yeah, God cared about me when I was in me. How much more does he care about me now that I'm his child? You see what I'm saying? It changes the way you think as situations and those darts and those things keep flying at you. Protects your thinking. That's what Paul says. And then he talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's interesting, Roman soldiers carried two types of swords. Um, This is the sword you're familiar with. A lot of times when people write talk about this passage, they talk about this sword. This is not the sword this passage talks about. Um, The word that's used here is actually the word for dagger. It's actually a sword that, now this is a big one, okay? But this is a dagger. This is made for close combat. The big sword was made for, you know, I've got, I've got three feet extension of my arm, you know, within four or five feet away. I'm whacking away to take off your head. That's the big sword. That's not the sword he talks about here. He talks about the idea of the dagger sword, the idea that this sword became ineffective. So the next thing I know, we're fighting up close and personal, and it's the last resort. It's the thing that I'm going to use to jab and cut and that kind of thing. It's a small, I mean, not this one, but it's, it, it's, small, it's smaller than the other sword. And it's for close combat. Now, that's really interesting because what Paul also says in the passage is this. The sword of the Spirit, first of all, it's from the Spirit. So the idea is the Holy Spirit's involved in this, attacking and defending, which is the Word of God. Now, I don't want to lose a lot of people here, but let me talk to some of you who've been around Christianity or in the Bible for a while. Often when the Bible talks about the Word of God, it uses a word called Lagos. Um, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Lagos. Anytime the word lagos is used in relationship to the word of God, it has this big general concept of God's written word. God's, not written word necessarily, but big general concept of God's word. There's another word that's used called rima. It's the idea of of this spoken word. Um, It's often associated with the word of God in connection with the Holy Spirit. In this passage, that's the word that's used. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, and you have the sword of the dagger, the close combat weapon, which is the spoken word of God. Which is the ability to know the word of God and speak and say, you know what? Wait a minute, Satan. I know you say this, but this is what what God says. It's the ability to use Scripture when those difficult times come. That's why scripture, when we go through this 40-day uh, deal, um, we're going to focus on one verse each week that we all try to memorize together. No one let this scare you. Okay? You go, well, I'm not going to be in a small group. That's okay. We're still going to memorize it on Sundays too. So you've got to not come for eight weeks if you're going to try to dodge it. So anyway, it'll be in a bulletin. It'll be in a prayer letter. We're all going to learn it together. And you're like, I'm really bad at scripture memory. That's okay. We're all going give to give it a shot. Here's why. Because there are things that come into your life. You don't have time to pick up a Bible. You don't have time to call the pastor, call your friend, call your Google it. You need to be able on the spot to be able to say, no, God says this. When in your mind you feel like God has left you, you need to be able to say, no, God, God will never leave me nor forsake me. He's made me that promise. Um, You need to be able to do that. And so. Paul here in talking about this, a great illustration of the life of Jesus Christ. What happens with Christ? He goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And in of 40 days, three temptations come. In all three temptations, you know what Satan does? He quotes the Bible. Satan quotes, I think this is crazy, Satan quotes the Bible to God who wrote the Bible. But when you look at each passage that Satan quotes, here's what you find. He didn't quote the whole thing. He picked and chose the sections of it that he wanted said. It was Jesus, God, who had written the Bible, who knew what it really meant, and was able to come back and go, oh yeah, no, 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 because here's the other principle, here's the other thing, here's the thing that you're forgetting, here's the thing that you didn't mention. And so he's able to effectively deal with Satan, how? By using the word of God, that quick dagger kind of thing. You have three of these items that you take up. The helmet of salvation to protect the way you think. The shield of faith as Satan attacks. And the sword of the spirit, which is not only just an offensive weapon, but it's also a defensive weapon too, to be able to fend off Satan as he comes. Most people will only limit it to these three. I'm going to add one next week that you've probably never heard of, but I'll I'll give you some background to it next week and we'll talk about it. I think there's a fourth item to take um, that's implied in the passage we're going to look at next week. Let's talk about these three and and how we apply them this week. Uh, Let's talk about the idea of faith. Some of you have had life situations and circumstances where life hasn't gone like you thought it ought to go. And so, because of that, you were involved in a church or a religion or a denomination or whatever else, and you tried whatever it was that they taught you, and it just didn't help. And so, for whatever reason, you just said, you know, that, 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 that God, church, Christianity thing, it, you know, it just doesn't work, it's not real. Some of you have bumped up against people who believe this, and they've kind of thrown in, the towel on the whole church thing. Many of you, you've got friends and stuff. When you invite them to church, you're like, you know, I tried that once. Didn't work for me. Can I suggest to you that maybe the reason it didn't work or the reason that it didn't play out like it should have is because you were dealing with something that was a knockoff? That what you had joined or been a part of or something, that wasn't the real thing. Um, I'm going to try to illustrate it this way. Some of you will know what this is. Some of you will have no idea. Anybody know what this is? Um, Anybody know what these are for? Yeah, this is a McPherson strut compression tool. Uh, I wanted to change the, sh- the struts on one of my cars, and I'm one of those guys that I would rather YouTube it, watch it, try to do it myself. So I went online, and I've read about how to do it. And, and over and over again, they kept saying, this is dangerous. <laughs> Which that made me want to do it even more. Um, they said, this is the kind of thing that people get, like, hospital hurt with. Okay. <laughs> They go to the hospital over if you do this wrong. Well, that made me want to do it even more. So, I started reading online, and what I started reading about were people that said this. Don't buy a cheap tool. Because the cheap tools break, and if this tool breaks, it's hospital hurt. Okay? It's hospital hurt. So I went online and this particular tool was made by McPherson, which makes struts, about 80 bucks for a pair of these. And um, I'm of the opinion that if I'm going to go hire somebody to do it, it's going to cost me so much an hour, so if I can do it myself and own the tool, like, well, I don't borrow the tool. No, I don't want to borrow the tool. I want to own the tool. Why do you want to own the tool? Because I like owning tools. Okay, that's my thing, all right? So anyway, um, that's my spiritual my spiritual hurdle I got to get over. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. But anyway, so uh, so I bought the so I went and I started online and I looked at this and so this is like 80 bucks. And then I went to Harbor Freight. They saw one of these for like 20, 25 bucks, a pair of these. And I'm thinking 25, 80, 25, 80. And then I'm going Life, 25. Life, 25. And so I went and I bought the original heavy-duty deal. Because I thought, you know what? This is probably not something that I want to make a mistake with. So I went and bought the real thing. And the reason I bought the real thing is because the knockoff wouldn't have done, may have done what it was supposed to, but there's a good chance it wouldn't. I actually saw one of these on Facebook Marketplace the other day that was a knockoff that had been welded. And I'm thinking, boy, that is really, really, really not good. So, by the way, if you need to borrow this, I have two of these. Um, but, but, But here's the idea. The idea is this. It is not something that you want an imitation on. If you don't get the real thing, you can get really hurt. Because for those of you who don't know what it does, you have a spring on your car, great big high spring. What this does is two of these together take that spring and compress it all the way down. So you can take or however far down so you can get that strut out. And it's under a tremendous amount of pressure and tension. Not the kind of one of those things that you see made in China. Because if that... If, if this little see that little thing right there that breaks pieces go flying everywhere I want to make sure I had the real thing one of the reasons that you may struggle with whatever happened in your life is because you weren't dealing with the real thing and Paul says look when it comes to Christianity the shield of faith it's a real thing and that faith and trust in Christ will keep you safe. It will get you through those difficult times. It will make sure that you're okay. Now i got grease all over my hands. And I don't want to go home and have the don't play with your shop tools in your church clothes discussion. So anyway, um, it's that faith. And, so, and, and for some of you, the reason that you may struggle is because what you had before was the imitation. It was a, it, 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 it a like wasn't a real thing. That's why you got hurt. Because it wasn't a real thing. And I would challenge you to understand, the real thing will not hurt you, it will protect you. The real thing is the thing that as Satan attacks, you can keep those fiery darts away. I want to challenge you because some of you, it's, it's tough that way. And because of your hurt, because of your past, because you adopted something that was fake and phony in the past, you're reluctant to jump forward with the real deal. For some of you, you're going through a pretty tough time right now, and your faith is pretty weak. In fact, it may be non-existent. You know you're saved, you don't have any question about that, but you're just having a really hard time trusting God. One of the things that I think is interesting is that concept of what happens when those shields work together in tandem with each other. And if you're going through a really tough time right now struggling with your faith and really being able to trust God in your situation, can I encourage you to go find other people to come alongside of you? Maybe to link behind their their shield for a while? Well, what are you saying? You're saying I need to, somebody else to help me get through this? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. There's a fascinating passage in Luke chapter 2 about this issue of faith. It talks about this guy that's crippled and he's bedridden. And these guys want to get him to Jesus. And the way they get him to Jesus, they go up on top of a roof and they pull back all the tiles and they drop him down so that Jesus can deal with him. Most people don't pay attention to what that passage says, but the passage is what it reads. Read the passage in Luke chapter 5 and notice this. And Jesus says, because of their faith, he helps this guy. He helps that guy who was paralytic and bedridden because of their faith. Not because of his faith, because of their faith. And I would challenge you, you can find other people who will come alongside of you who, like those Romans, all of a sudden they have this, in, 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 this ability in which it's impenetrable. Nothing can get through it. Why? Because they're all together in link form. That's why unity is so important in a church. That's why fellowship is so important. Because there are times in life when it's dangerous for you to go it alone. And you need other people who can link with you and help protect you so that you're all protected, so that you all work together. And I just want to challenge you, if, if what you're going through is just so overwhelming you can't get through, then, then, then look to other people to walk with you through that. And what's ironic is here you'll find people who've already taken that journey. And they've got all kinds of resources and tools and things that help them that will help you. But you have to be vulnerable enough to say, will you help me? He talks about the idea of salvation. I trust that everyone here understands clearly the fact that coming here on Sunday is not going to get you to heaven. We're thrilled you're here. Walking in those doors does not do anything for your eternal salvation. Throwing money in a box does nothing for your eternal salvation. Taking communion does nothing for your eternal salvation. Your eternal salvation is simply you accepting the gift of eternal life from God, asking him to forgive you of your sin, asking him to be your Lord and Savior, telling him that you want him to be in charge, not you. It's about him, not you. And as best as you know how, with all of your faith and confidence, you put your faith and trust in God and God alone. You say, well, you know, I, I just, I kind of, you know, I, I, like I believe all of that stuff. So does the devil. The devil believes everything that we've talked about. But he won't put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the difference. It's about that step of faith. That's Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, that unto yourselves it is a gift of God, not of word. And when you understand, as we've been through the book of Ephesians, what God has done for you. When difficult things happen. When tough times come, and they will come. You can rest assured with this. If a God loved me when I was his enemy. How much more does he love me now that I'm his child? And God is not doing something to you. He is doing something through you. And he is accomplishing his purposes in his great big kingdom that you don't understand and I don't understand until we get on the other side of this world. And the last thing is that idea of the word of God. The reason we put the emphasis on the preaching and teaching, the reason I try to work to make the preaching and teaching practical is because I believe that the one tool you and I have as we go out into the world each week, is the Word of God. I think you know it. I think you memorize it. I think you read it. I think you apply it to your life every day. I think you make it a real part of your life. And we're in a culture which wants to focus on what's politically correct, not what's biblically correct. My wife and I were talking this week so There's a situation that she... She was talking about, as we were going through it, and we were going through it, and it's kind of one of those emotional kind of things where there's a lot of emotions involved with with people involved and all that kind of thing. She goes, you know, I just don't know how to handle it. And and, and I drove it back to a Bible principle. I said, well, I said, here's the Bible principle. Here's how it impacted Jesus. Here's how Jesus handled it. This is what is the biblical foundation for whatever, whatever decisions need to be made. Here's the biblical foundation. Here's the biblical principle." I said, stay away from the argument about all of the emotions with all the people. Just go back to what is the biblical principle at stake here. And the more you and I can do that, the more we really understand what it means to have an abundant life. And a life in which Jesus Christ is the center. Because after all, if we apply the word of God, which was written by God, who created us, he knows the best way for us to handle life. And if we can get back to that, if we can get back to taking the word of God, and then when Satan comes along, and Satan Satan wants to get you discouraged, and Satan wants you to throw in the towel, and Satan wants you to, to respond in anger, you can simply go, you know what, I don't like it, but the Bible says this is what I must do. So this is how I'm going to act. And when you start to implement that day by day, week by week, year by year, what you start to find out is that the biblical way really is the best way. And what's crazy to me is, you know, I read enough in this outside of the biblical world of, you know, counseling and psychology and stuff like that. It's amazing to me how they come up with these principles that Christianity's had for 3,000 years. And it's like, oh, this is like the newest cutting edge. It's been around for 3,000 years. The problem is you would have to realize that this is what the psalmist said, or this is what was in Proverbs 3,000 years ago. You know, Because they don't, I mean, God forbid that they would say, hey, we found this great thing in Proverbs that really works in life. So they'll give it some fancy term, and they'll talk about it in some fancy way. But the reality of it is the truth of God's Word. And I just want to challenge this. As we, tr- as we deal with so many different issues, let's get back to what the Word of God says. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And let's be careful about ever getting away from that. You know? That's why. I mean, you look at our services. There's a reason we spend the most amount of our time preaching, sharing verses, talking about that. Why? Because here's the thing. And this is crazy, but let me try to illustrate something for you for a second. The Bible says, go back to the Bible. God promises his word will not return void. That's a promise. So here's what that means for me. As long as I stand up here on a given Sunday, and I share with you the word of God, It's not about me. It's about God then taking that and working it into your life. And it's crazy because I have people come up and say, oh, pastor, you know what? I really enjoyed that because, you know, you said this and this and this. I've gone back and I've looked at the at the uh, uh, listened to the message and I'm like, I never said that. Never. I mean, I want to insult you. But I never said that. But God used his word and the Holy Spirit. To speak to your heart, and that's what you heard. It's a God thing. And when you have friends who come to you and they want advice, and you don't know what to say, and you don't know how to handle it, but you know what God says, share with them God's word. I don't say you don't even have to quote it, you don't have to tell them where it's from, but God promises. I'll use it. You know, when I deal with teenagers, one of the things that I, I, I tell girls in particular, if you're dating a guy that has a temper, dump him as fast as you can. And then look at me and go, mm-hmm. Proverbs, don't make friends with an angry man. I tell God the same thing you got a, you got a friend who's a hothead? Go find another friend. It's a dangerous thing to make friends with somebody who's angry. That's by old principle. Now you just think, I want you to think about, in your world, all the people that you've gotten close to over the years who have had hot-headed, tempered people. How have those friendships worked out? Make friends with an angry man. Bible principles. You follow what I'm saying? And and it's important for us to step back and go, okay, let's see what God says. So my challenge to you is is this. I end up with this way. First, we put on truth, righteousness, and the gospel of peace. Then we focus on salvation and protect our thinking. We focus on God's word to defend the attacks that come. And we stand solid in our faith in Christ alone, and we remain faithful, no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. You've given us much, and out of those who have been given much, much is required. So may we be solid in our faith. Lord, for those who may not understand salvation, may you help them to find somebody to talk to today. That, Lord, they can be assured of that. For those, Lord, who may be struggling in their faith and faithfulness and thinking about maybe just quitting and throwing in the towel and trying something else. Lord, would you help them to really get a hold of the real, real truth of what you have done and what you will do. And, Lord, for some who just their circumstances are overwhelming. Lord, may they be willing to reach out to others who can come alongside of them and work together to learn and grow and be steadfast and faithful through the circumstances they're faced with. And for each of us, Lord, may we get back to the idea of the importance and significance of your word in our lives every day. May we not just hear it, may we not just read it, but may we do it and apply it. And when you... Work in our lives, Lord. May people see Christ in us. These things we ask in your name.